Calling all Arizona attorneys. Where are my brothers and sisters at? I hope you are ready to be educated and inspired. Or at least entertained. Because it is time for Cluff's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. I'm your host, Arizona attorney, Brig Clough. My guest today is Chad Snow. Chad is a founding partner at Snow, Carpio, and Weekly. He practices exclusively in the area of workers' compensation. Other attorneys at his firm also handle social security disability cases. Chad has been about as successful as any lawyer I know in the building up of his law practice. In today's episode, we discuss the coronavirus. We discuss the viability of workers' compensation claims and personal injury claims based on the coronavirus, and we also discuss how the coronavirus has impacted law firm operations. I am joined here by the legendary Chad Snow, attorney at law. I go way back with Chad. I think we met right after I graduated from college and came to Arizona State University to go to law school. What what year did you graduate from? Uh, 2000, ASU. Okay, yeah. I was 2001. So you were you were 1 year ahead of me and you were also working at my dad's law firm at the time. Yeah, I started out doing social security disability and then um, got hired by a firm doing workers comp and that's all I've ever done since is workers comp. Chad for the benefit of our audience. The name of his firm is Snow Carpio and Weekly. Is that it or is there is there a fourth partner in the name now or is that no it's still snow carpio and weekly snow carpio and weekly and you guys man you you have an amazing law practice from my uh perspective it, it seems like you guys have a a big share of the workers comp market and you do a great job I, i've sent a lot of people to you over the years and they've all given you glowing reviews when i've talked to them well thank you yeah we've uh we have probably about about 50% of the workers' comp cases in Arizona. We've got, I think, nine attorneys in uh, five different offices statewide. And, you know, we've got, we've got some really good lawyers at our firm. So, And, and in workers' comp, unlike really most areas of law, it, it's hard to know. Like, for instance, I do personal injury, wrongful death. The universe of personal injury and wrongful death cases is very hard to ascertain because not all cases become lawsuits, and uh, you just don't even know of the existence of some cases. But with workers' comp, that's not the case. The, the universe is a known quantity. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part. You know what you know what's out there, what's an accident, and what's worth pursuing, yeah. And, and they all don't they all have to go through the industrial commission? So that, that's a way of kind of figuring out what your denominator is? Well, that yeah, that's the state agency that oversees the claims and then, you know, disputes between the insurance carriers and, and the injured workers. Okay. So you've got a phenomenal law practice. And for a while, I, I know, I don't know if this is the case anymore. You, you've grown so much since the last time that we talked about it. But for a while, I, I have this recollection that everybody at your firm spoke Spanish. Is that is that still the case? Uh, if not, I'm sure there's a lot of you that still speak Spanish. There was, yeah, there was a time that that was a, a prerequisite. We we did about 90% Spanish speaking back in the day, but um, now now it's probably I think 
of our nine attorneys, I think five of us speak Spanish and probably about half our staff, but that's always been an important part of our business. Man, that, that is, that, you know, frankly, that's the people doing a lot of the, the dangerous jobs, you know, the roofing and drywalling and those kinds of jobs that lead, lead to injuries or, you know, our Spanish speaking immigrants. So that's always been a big part of our practice. Oh yeah, no doubt. They, they, um, they live in a riskier world in the, in the working world. And even in, um, you know, in my practice, personal injury, it does seem Spanish speaking is overrepresented in the number of plaintiffs. And I believe that the, the reason for that is they just, they face more risk because of uh, some of the similar reasons that you just mentioned in, uh, you know, in workers' comp. It's been a good, uh, good blessing for us to all be able to speak Spanish. All right. So, Chad, we are speaking right in the midst of the COVID-19 zombie apocalypse. And I thank you for joining me here. And one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is how you see this pandemic affecting Arizona attorneys. Specifically, let's focus on the area of workers' comp. But how do you see this playing out with, uh, I think of, uh, say, a nurse that works at a hospital? Talk about that. We're, we're starting to get calls. You know, it's interesting. We talked about it at the very beginning of, of the, uh, you know, the outbreak and stuff. Um, and, and now we're starting to get calls from people who have, you know, who have contracted COVID and think it's related to their work. And Arizona has a really um, antiquated, I think, really kind of a bizarre framework for, for compensating what, what they call industrial diseases. Um, and and it's, it's almost impossible, I think. You know, and I've done this 22 years. I've never brought an industrial disease case. They're just so, there's six criteria that you have to meet in order to prove that something's an industrial disease. And I mean, to put it in, a, in like a personal injury perspective, I mean, you literally have to prove that, that there was a, a singular exposure at work that caused your, you know, you getting COVID-19. And, and, you know, I mean, common sense just says that if you're a nurse and you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of patients and then you go home to your family and then you go to the grocery store and you go to the gas station and, and, and at some point you contract COVID-19, well, how do you prove that, you know, a certain exposure at work was the proximate cause of, of you getting that disease? It's impossible. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really brought up some interesting, um, some interesting questions as we start to build these cases and say, you know, I mean, is, is it, should we just throw up our hands to, to potential clients and say, Hey, you know, sorry, I think you're out of luck because it's, it, you know, it's just the way our statute is drawn up. It's impossible for you to prove. Um, several states have actually, it's interesting. <laughs> I know Minnesota and I want to say California, several states have, have passed emergency legislation that says, you know, people in certain occupations, if they contract COVID, it's, there's a presumption there that it was, you know, that it was because of an exposure at work. And, and we, you know, as, as a firm, we're very active at the legislature and, and trying to get changes that will help workers. We approached, you know, our lobbyists and a couple of our legislative contacts, and, and we were just kind of told that, you know, that's nothing's going to happen in that regard anytime soon, which is, you know, which is pretty sad. These, um, you know, healthcare workers and uh, EMTs and the different people that are really, you know, even grocery store workers or, you know, people that have been deemed essential workers, they're out there literally putting their lives on the line 
you know, to continue to provide these essential services without any protection whatsoever, uh, you know, from the, the industrial or workers' compensation laws. So it, it's it, it's frustrating as an attorney, you know, to see people that uh, that you know clearly should fall within the spirit of the Workers' Compensation Act, um, but but are excluded just because we have this you know this statute that was drawn up in I think in 1943 or something like that. Oh man, I, um, I I was really hoping that would not be the case, but it's actually a little worse than I had anticipated um, because you're saying that it's not enough just to show that your exposure came at work. You need to show a particular, a singular exposure that you had at work, which is just impossible. <clears throat> um, yeah, and, and I don't, that's not even the impossible part about it. The impossible part is proving that some exposure, you know, I mean, you could, you could be in a, a, a worker at a nursing home where every single person has COVID, but you have, you know, I mean, it, it, as I read through the, the rules again, you know, just a few weeks ago, you would almost have to prove that, that, that it, it was came from one of those exposures as opposed to being exposed somewhere else, you know, and oh, COVID, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, COVID unique in that, every, you know, it's, it's out there in the whole community. Right. You have right to now. prove the negative. You, you have yeah, to kind of disprove the negative. Yeah, right. I, I, I this the only time I have ever been exposed to this virus is on this occasion, um, and so you have to uh, you have to trace everybody that was at the Costco when you were there, and and for the previous six hours before you got there, just to rule them out as potential um, uh, contamination sources. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's outrageous. I, I I definitely, and I'm and I'm oversimplifying a little bit. I mean, but but just knowing how you know, and I've litigated thousands of cases at the industrial commission, and if you know, if I'm a defense attorney, that's kind of the the standard that I'm going to try and make the judge hold hold an injured worker to. You know, I mean, um, the statute isn't written quite that strictly, but but frankly, that's how it would be applied. If you look at the six kind of requirements that they have for industrial diseases it almost puts you into that strict of an interpretation okay well i'm just spitballing here but how about this um it it seems to me it is analogous in some ways uh to a carpal tunnel syndrome type of injury where you know somebody say you have a secretarial worker who um you know she she or he spends all their time typing on a computer and they develop carpal tunnel syndrome. And I I think that those can be viable claims, um, but those aren't the only times that those people ever use their fingers, right? Uh, Right. I mean, do you see any room for analogizing to that when you, when you make the argument or is it, is it just a different type of claim altogether? No, that's a good, that's a good, uh, you know, obviously that's a physical injury. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the, it's the same defense tactic that would come up, you know, that, um, you know, obviously you're using your hands just as much, you know, the 16 hours a day that you're not at work. And, and I just, I'm looking at the, in the statute 23901 right now, and one of the requirements is the disease does not come from a hazard to which workers would have been equally exposed outside of the employment. So like, it's like you said before, you know, I mean, that's kind of the negative that you have to disprove. You have to prove a direct causal connection. 
between the conditions under which the work is performed and the disease. And so it just, if there was only one of those, you could probably get around it in litigation, but there's six that are pretty, you know, uh, pretty strictly written like that. And, and I, you know, I, I'm, I would be surprised if, if any attorneys are just, you know, falling all over themselves to take COVID cases just because I think they're, you know, nearly impossible to prove. Yeah, I, um, I'm afraid you might be right. That's, that's what my first blush, uh, take on it would be. I'll tell you my concern. One of the concerns that I have, um, the, uh, some of the fallout of this pandemic is that there will be, uh, legislation that is enacted um, in response to this, but that it will be uh, legislation that is designed to shield defendants where probably no further shielding is necessary and not legislation of the kind that you mentioned earlier that could potentially help not plaintiffs, but uh, claimants and workers' comp, which I think is common sense. There ought to be a presumption that certain categories of workers, if they uh, develop COVID-19, they're presumed to have developed it in their work at the uh, COVID-19 unit at the hospital that, that they work at, you know. Yeah, common sense would dictate that. But when's the last time the Arizona legislature showed any common sense? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I wish you'd have given me some time to prepare for that one. I, I know, right? I'd have to go back and do some research. But, you know, I mean, to, to that point, though, Greg, I've had people ask me about that, too. You know, do you think businesses will be liable? Do you think employers will be liable? And, and you know, I mean, I think I just answered the question, are employers liable if they put, you know, employees in in situations where they could be exposed to COVID? And, you know, workers' comp is a completely no-fault system. It's much different than, you know, the, the universe that you operate in where you're always looking at fault and, and stuff like that. It's, but even in a completely no-fault system, it's it's hard to prove. And, and, you know, when people are asking me, well, do you think, you know, are businesses liable if people come in and, and claim to have gotten COVID there? And I think even in a personal injury sense, you're going to run into the same, you know, problems of proving causation. It's yeah. a, it's a epidemic that's everywhere. You know, I could get it at home from my kids. How do you prove that, you know, going into you know, a restaurant, McDonald's or something like that is the exposure that gave you COVID. I, I don't know. You know, I, I think there's huge problems proving causation everywhere. And so, yeah, I, I've seen all the talk about shielding businesses and stuff like that. I, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that from oh, a personal injury perspective. Yeah, I, I have um, a lot of the people that um, are closest to me in my life are, um, constantly uh, drinking from the trough of uh, Fox News and um, I, I don't tune in all that often to uh, to see what they're saying on Fox News but I I feel like I pretty get a pretty good um, uh, indication of what they're saying based on the things that uh, a lot of my friends and family members uh, will come and talk to me about and many of them have uh, expressed this concern that there will be a uh, just an avalanche of litigation uh, of personal injury lawyers bringing claims for uh, people that uh, contract this virus. And I certainly do see it exactly uh, the opposite way. Um, 
the personal injury case is exponentially more difficult than the workers' comp case. Um, right. Because the, we do have a fault um, uh, hurdle that we must clear in making a personal injury case, and it, it's already difficult enough without that hurdle. I mean, impossible without that hurdle. So uh, I don't see a lot of opportunity there really for um, personal injury claims. Yeah, I, I told my, we were having that family discussion with my Fox News loving family <laughs> just a couple days ago. And I told them, you know, they're talking about all these laws to shield businesses and churches and stuff. And, and I said, I think that's just, you know, it's a solution in search of a problem. They're not, they're not gonna, I just, I don't see how anyone could ever prove where they got it. And like you said, you know, that the really high burden in a personal injury sense. Yeah, it, it's a solution, in my opinion, masquerading. Uh, it, it's a solution for another problem, masquerading yeah, exactly. as a problem, yeah. uh, as a solution to this particular problem. Uh, my right, cons- yeah. I don't think that the business, the businesses know they they they've got smart people advising them, lawyers who are uh, uh, handicapping these cases. Uh, I. I I can't imagine that they're too concerned about uh, COVID-19 uh, claims being brought against them, but they are concerned about getting immunity from other claims that are brought against them. And if there's a way that they can smuggle the protections uh, <clears throat> from those other claims into this new legislation, then I have no doubt that that's what they will do because as we know, in Washington and any kind of legislative uh, arena, uh, nobody ever lets a crisis go to waste. Absolutely. So let's shift gears a little bit here, Chad. Um, what about running your own office? How how has this pandemic affected uh, your operations? What are you guys doing? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Don't let a crisis go to waste. We've you know, I mean, practically speaking, we've tried to do everything we can to keep our employees safe. We're not letting clients in the office. We have a, the way our office is set up, we kind of have a dry, almost a drive-through ability. So if, if clients, you know, have to drop stuff off, they can do it right at the front door of our office. Um, and then we're staggering our staff, you know, they're working every other day um, so that we only have half as many people there physically uh, on any given day. So, I mean, that. Practically, that's how we're doing it. We, we sat down, my partners and I, at the beginning of it and said, hey, let's use this as an opportunity to kind of reevaluate our systems and, and how we do things and and see if there's ways we can do things better. And, and it's interesting. You know, I, I think one of the good things that will come out of this is just people are going to see how inefficient we've been in a lot of ways, how we haven't used technology and, um, you know, different things like that. Uh, and we're going to come out of it hopefully more efficient. You know, at least in our firm, we found that doing, you know, new client intake, uh, we were able to convert a much higher percentage of those doing it by, by phone and by video than by insisting that people come into the office. You know, our no-show rate went from like 20-some percent down to about 5%. And so just things like that that we've, you know, we've discovered that <clears throat> practices that we've been doing just because that's, you know, that's the way we've always done it may not have been the most efficient uh, efficient ways of doing things. The, the industrial commission where we go to court, I think is realizing that 
in a lot of situations, you know, video hearings and phone hearings are every bit as um, every bit as good as, as requiring people to come down there in person and, and you can get them done a lot, you know, a lot more efficiently, a lot quicker. And, and so, you know, those, those are just some of the things I think that we've, you know, we've, like you said, taken this crisis and kind of tried to in, figure out ways that we can improve and, and make our business better because of it. That's phenomenal. So I'm curious as you're uh, uh, on your intakes that you're doing, do your clients have any trouble with the technology? I mean, do you send them a link to a Zoom meeting? How are you How are you doing those meetings? You know, for the most part, I've been shocked because, and, you know, we deal with a very blue-collar clientele. Like we said before, a lot of them are immigrants who, you know, I mean, they're just not sophisticated technologically at all. And I, you know, when it first was proposed, I'm like, you know what, guys, our clients aren't going to be able to figure that out. And I really underestimated their ability to, you know, to do simple stuff like that. And yeah, there's, there's a few, you know, 10 or 20% that'll just never be able to, to do anything with technology. And, but I've been shocked for the most part, they've been able to do video, um, video meetings for intake. Uh, and then, you know, figure out our, we have a person that walks them through how to do a DocuSign you know, to sign retention agreements and, and just things like that, that have, have made our intake incredibly more, like I said, more efficient. And then also, um, you know, we're converting a lot more. And so, the, you know, that's a practice that we're going to keep in place. Even after this is over, we're going to give people the option of, of doing their initial visit with the attorney, you know, either telephonically or by video. And it, it turned into a, a great business practice. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, just uh, a nuts and bolts uh, level question here. So, the technology that you're using, you you mentioned DocuSign. Is that the particular uh, electronic signing solution you're using? I know there's a few others on the market. Is that the one you guys are using? Yeah, I think that's the one that we use for. There's DocuSign, and then there's one other one. And honestly, I don't know. We have so we, you know, as an attorney, we do the the intake and and talk to the client and go over the fee agreement like we're required to but then we have a you know a, an intake specialist that kind of does all the technological okay. parts all of right. it and but from what i understand there haven't been any problems so yeah we we good, use adobe sign which yeah i think it's the same okay product okay and uh for the meetings are you using zoom or using some other uh, web meeting solution I've used only Zoom because I'm one of those technological idiots that doesn't know how to do anything else. But I know there's there's a couple other there's Google Hangouts. Yeah. Um, you know when you have multiple people on, and there's a couple others that I think some other attorneys in our firm are using. But for you know for intake, we're just we're doing the Zoom meetings, and you send them a link, and they they click on it, and you know within five seconds you're on video with them. Yeah. It's really, it's really a very nice way to meet with people. It's a lot more you know you feel a lot more connection than you would just over the phone. That's awesome. And are your clients uh, accessing those meetings from their phones? So they're holding their phones up in front of them and, and talking to you that way. Is that how it's going? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. As long as they have a smartphone, it's really easy to figure out. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Now, what about, um, I, I would think that there would be a lot fewer people getting injured, uh, having industrial injuries right now. It, it certainly seems there's a lot fewer people uh, involved in car crashes right now. I, I'm my phones are uh, virtually silent right now. Um, 
what are you experiencing? We're, we actually, you know, it's ours, ours is a little different. I think in personal injury, people call right after an accident. We usually see people about a year after, uh, you know, a serious injury because that's when the insurance company starts really screwing them over. And so, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a lag. So we haven't noticed any yet. We, we're certain it'll, it'll come at some point, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the jobs that, that typically lend themselves to work injuries are, are still going, they, you know, they're essential jobs. And so those people are still working. I think, a lot, you know, we don't see a lot from the restaurant and hotel and we see some from the hotel. So I, I don't think we'll see a huge lag in terms of that, but just in terms of general economic activity, I, I think, you know, it's just like in 2008, 2009, you know, we'll see uh, here in about a year, we'll probably see a, a slight downtick in, in new business. And we're prepared for that. The, the flip side is in workers comp that, you know, we have kind of a recession proof practice in that, you know, when times are good, people want to get back to work. They're making great money. Employers are willing to accommodate, you know, people that might have restrictions because there's just, frankly, there's not a lot of workers out there. And so, you know, when times are bad economically, we have less cases, but in a kind of perverse sort of way, they become worth more because there's just not as many jobs for people to go back to. So kind of a, kind of a different business mm, model than what you guys have. Yeah. Well, um, I've got one more topic that I I'd love to get your thoughts on, and that is this is a, a podcast that is really directed at Arizona attorneys, and some of our listeners may be looking for uh, ways to grow their business or start a firm. Uh, where do you see opportunity for Arizona attorneys right now in the context of the pandemic? You mean in terms of practice area or just, just in growth within our practice areas? Um, well, both. Really, really, I'm not talking about uh, necessarily in terms of your practice area in particular, um, unless you have some thoughts in that area. You, you've kind of addressed that a little bit already, but uh, more generally for Arizona attorneys, are there certain practice areas that you you think are going to, uh, there's going to be opportunity in them because of uh, the pandemic or are, are there things that you think attorneys might want to explore within practice areas that they're, they're already in? Yeah. Well, a couple, it's funny within our, our practice in our firm because we do workers compensation and then we also do social security disability. And, and we've acknowledged for years, workers comp is a dying practice slowly, you know, as, as workplace safety and technology and all these things come into play, there's every year there's fewer and fewer work injuries. But the, the other side on social security disability, and especially right now, um, you know, that, that side of it is, I think, going to respond really well to, to this because, like I said before, you know, there's not as many jobs for people to go back to. And so people that have a lot of restrictions that previously could have found a job, you know, can't now. And so social security disability becomes an avenue for them. But, what you know, within our within our practice and, and trying to stay afloat and help things grow, I think it's forcing people to be a little bit more, a um, little bit more creative as far as, you know, as how they get cases. And, um, you know, we've, we've spent some money in some areas where we've never spent money before. Um, just kind of thinking, you know, people that, that aren't going to go through the usual avenues for getting an attorney, maybe looking in those other areas. So, um, you know, it's a good, 
it's a good opportunity, I think, to to reach out and do some kind of non-traditional marketing just to get your name out there. You, you know, a lot fewer cases for guys like you, you know, personal injury attorneys and stuff. You're right. There's not as many accidents happening. So you're fighting over a, a much smaller pie. Yeah, that's true. It's the last thing I needed is more competition for cases. Yeah. But we've done, you know, and I, without talking too much about our marketing strategy, but you know, there's things that I had been planning on doing for years that, that I've been told are, are good things, you know, just a, a, a newsletter, a firm newsletter that, you know, not that people read it a whole lot. I get, I get those from different places and I look at it and throw it in the trash, but you know, I get newsletters from different places. It's a reminder every month that, Oh yeah, that guy does mortgages or, Oh yeah, this guy does, you know, criminal law or something like that. And it just keeps the name in front of them. And so that's not my threatened to do for years, but I've just been so busy and, um, you know, complacent in, in our success that I never did it. Now I've had, kind of had a little bit more time, you know, it's something that we're doing to, you know, kind of re redirect our marketing a little bit. Yeah, that's good. I, I have spent um, a fair amount of time during this uh, pandemic also uh, uh, writing um, marketing type content, um, not specifically for a newsletter, but um really almost more of a, a book or treatise form talking about different personal injury law uh, issues and procedures. Yeah. Um, I think, I, you know, I spent a lot of years after law school before I focused exclusively on personal injury. I spent a lot of years <clears throat> doing commercial litigation. And there's just bound to be a lot of deals that get destroyed by this pandemic and that can oftentimes lead to litigation. Um, yeah, there's going to be, uh, that's true. Interesting. A lot of, uh, a lot of stuff arise from this. Yeah. Well, Chad, it has been a pleasure to chat with you. You sound great. I'm a huge fan of you. Uh, I'll just let my, uh, podcast listeners know Chad Snow is a freaking stud. I mean, just a great guy in every way. So I thank you for uh, joining me here, Chad, and uh, we should thank do it again sometime. Anytime. Thank you, Brig. Thanks for the thanks for the pump up. That makes me feel better. <laughs> All right. Stay healthy, amigo. All right. All right. Take care, brother. We'll see you. Bye. That is it for this episode of Clough's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. Thank you to my guests and listeners. Be sure to share this show with all your lawyer friends. And if you have an idea for the show, give me a call or send me an email at brig at I'll see you soon.